Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band, Hulk Rules, from 1995. The photographer, they gotta get that photographer down. He shouldn't be up on the apron, that's a dangerous place to be. Oh, these pictures are so good. Oh my God, what was that? This camera exploded. What the? Right in Hogan's face. This camera exploded in Hogan's face. Yokozuna drops the leg on Hogan. Yokozuna on the leg on two. Yokozuna. We got a new champion. We got a new champion. What the hell happened? Obviously, his camera exploded. At the first ever King of the Ring pay-per-view on June 13th, 1993, Yokozuna defeated Hulk Hogan for the WWF World Championship. It wasn't Hogan's first time losing the championship. He was now a five-time world champion. He was the wrestler responsible for the huge wrestling boom of the mid-1980s. But after losing the title for the fifth time, Hulk Hogan was on his way out of the WWF. Hogan had been approached by the producers of Baywatch. They told him they had him in mind for a new action series they were putting together. He'd done some acting over the years. He was first put in the national spotlight when he had appeared in Sylvester Stallone's Rocky III. He already had a movie in the can for an October 1993 release of the family comedy Mr. Nanny. Plus, he'd already been the star of two prior films, Suburban Commando and No Holds Barred. <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> Reportedly, after over a decade of constant travel as a professional wrestler, Hogan told the producers that he would do the series with one stipulation. The series must shoot in Florida, where he lived. The producers agreed, and a pilot was shot for CBS. But ultimately, CBS felt the show wasn't likely to do very well, and they would only commit to six episodes. The producers decided to turn down CBS and try to syndicate the show instead. It worked for Baywatch. The two-part pilot episode was first repackaged as a direct-to-video movie debuting in September of 1993. Thunder and Paradise would debut in syndication in March of 1994. Hogan starred as Randolph J. Hurricane Spencer, an ex-Navy SEAL, alongside Chris Lemon, son of actor Jack Lemon, as Martin Brew Brubaker. The two worked as mercenaries out of their tropical resort headquarters in Florida. Or, as IMDB.com describes the series, two former Navy SEALs work as mercenaries with a high-tech boat. Damn. Okay, I screwed up. All right, I'm sorry. We'll abort the mission. No, we won't. Spence. There are a lot of angry, die-hard communists out there with large automatic weapons, and now they know we're coming. I promised Pongo we'd get his wife and son out. The entire Cuban army is about to go on full alert. It doesn't matter. If they're caught, Castro can use them to force Palma back from the States and execute him. We pick up Mario and Alfredo as planned. Spence. I should know better than argue with you. All right, let me get you some satellite help. The series was shot on Soundstage A at the MGM Studios at Disney World. During that same time, 
Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling was shooting their weekly WCW Saturday night shows on Soundstage B at MGM. One day, Hogan was visited on set by then-WCW Senior Vice President Eric Bischoff and multiple-time WCW World Champion Ric Flair. (laughs) Eric Bischoff was determined to have the WCW give the WWF a run for their money. He thought if they could lure Hulk Hogan to WCW with the help of Ted Turner's checkbook, it would immediately give the company more credibility. Then, Hulk Hogan appeared on the May 28, 1994 episode of WCW Saturday Night. He tore up his Thunder in Paradise contract and claimed he was quitting the show and returning to wrestling. He officially signed with WCW on June 11, 1994. And by the way, Thunder in Paradise continued airing until November of 94 and then was canceled after just one season. This is the beginning of a new era for World Championship Wrestling. Hulk Hogan, five-time World Wrestling Federation champ, all of a sudden back in the professional ranks, but this time with WCW. Hogan didn't come to WCW alone. Jimmy Hart, who had been with the WWF as a manager since 1985, came along with Hogan to serve as his WCW manager. I talked a little bit about Jimmy Hart on the very first episode of Bizarre Albums when the focus was 1985's The Wrestling Album, but I'll give you a quick refresher in case you haven't heard that or don't remember. Jimmy Hart had a background in music. Back in the 1960s, he was a member of the band The Gentries. They had a Billboard number 4 hit in 1965 with Keep On Dancing. I keep on dancing, But Jimmy Hart wasn't alone in his musical background. Before his days as a wrestler, Hulk Hogan was a bass player. It was actually music that led him to wrestling. He was playing bass in a Florida band called Ruckus. And it could be a bit confusing to try and put together Hulk Hogan stories. In a 2014 interview with Noisy, he said he'd been on the road for 10 years, worked as a studio musician in Atlanta, says the band never really toured but went up to Atlanta a few times. All of this is in the same interview. He also said that wrestlers started showing up at ruckus gigs, going on to say, quote, So I finally got enough guts to start talking to Oliver Humperdinck, who was managing superstar Billy Graham, and I told him I wanted to try out to be a wrestler. He was like, yeah, sure, come on down, we'll give you a tryout, end quote. But in a 1996 interview with the late wrestler Jack Briscoe for WrestlingPerspective.com, Briscoe claimed that he was the one who convinced Hogan to get into wrestling after seeing him play. It's all a bit confusing, but I think we can at least confirm that Hulk Hogan was a musician before becoming a wrestler. I've also talked a little bit about his musical background on the show before and how he's weirdly absent from those first two WWF albums, and there don't appear to be any ruckus recordings out in the world. But in 1995, a Hulk Hogan album was on the way. Jimmy Hart was also present for that noisy interview. After the confusing discussion of Hogan's music history, Hart says, quote, So what happened was, a gentleman approached us about maybe Hulk doing an album, because Hulk played bass, and I played in a rock group, probably before you were born, called The Gentries. So we kind of all put something together. Hulk went into the studio, and we got two great money deals off of it, really. End quote. So on July 11th, 1995... Hulk Rules by Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band was released 
on select records. And what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? The album begins with Hulksters in the House. The song even has a music video. Hogan's on-again, off-again friend, fellow professional wrestler Macho Man Randy Savage, appears in the video as the keyboard player in the band. In addition to him are the credited wrestling boot band members. Jimmy Hart is seen playing the drums, though he's not a drummer. Hulk's wife Linda is singing backing vocals. And J.J. McGuire is on guitar. More on him in a bit. I'll post some of the video on social media this week, so be sure you're following at Bizarre Albums to see some of that. The video was shot entirely in a hard rock cafe to an audience of almost exclusively children. The Hulkster's in the house! Hey, you. I just want to take a second to tell you about an awesome podcast called The Sloppy Boys from my pals Jeff Dutton, Tim Kalpakis, and Mike Hanford, who are also in a kick-ass party rock band, also called The Sloppy Boys. What's their show about? Well, it's a podcast about cocktails. Each week, they drink and discuss a cocktail recognized by the International Bartenders Association. Drinks like Tequila Sunrise, White Russian, Cosmopolitan, Mint Julep. They also have a great Patreon where patrons, as they call them, get access to the Sloppy Boys Blowout, a weekly bonus episode where the guys talk about music, movies, TV shows, or honestly, anything they damn well please. And you don't have to be a drinker to enjoy it. They're just having fun and you'll have a blast listening. So check it out for a funny, boozy, wild time. The Sloppy Boys podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you get podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. During Hogan's time in the WWF, his ring entrance music was the iconic Real American by Rick Derringer. When he made the move to WCW, he could no longer use that song. A new song was written to replace it, entitled American Maid. And American Maid would also be the title of this album in Germany. The liner notes don't credit who's singing, 
but it does have a few additional performers listed. And with some research, my best guess is the voice is that of Keith Jacobs. Up next is Hulkster's Back. You can hear Hogan's then-wife, Linda, delivering some Valley Girl-esque lines. Linda is credited on the album for vocals and percussion. The album we did on Hulkster, a lot of people don't know, for ten thousand no excuse me, for nine thousand seventy five dollars we cut a ten song wrestling album and we had two major deals off of it, one in the US and one overseas. So finally getting that record album out, it was just a thrill for me for that too, and we're very proud of all of that. That's Jimmy Hart in a twenty thirteen interview from Legends of Wrestling. And Jimmy Hart gets a chance to sing lead on the next two songs. Bad to the Bone which is not a George Thorogood cover, and the somewhat out of place wrestling boot traveling band. I needed some time with the boys. And she needed her time and space. So I lay on the beach and get me a tan. And I'll play my music with the boys in the band. And I'll send you a postcard whenever I can sincerely. Okay, so let's talk J.J. or John J. McGuire. He seemed to do most of the heavy lifting on this album, credited with guitar, keyboards, vocals, bass, and drums. He's an old friend of Jimmy Hart's. He was even a member of the Gentries for a short period. Back in the mid-80s, WWF owner Vince McMahon had realized how expensive royalties were for using famous songs for the wrestlers' entrance music. He asked Hart and McGuire to try and write some original songs for the second wrestling album in 1987. So the two of them wrote songs not just for that album, but for several wrestlers' entrance music for years to come. One of these songs was called High Energy, and it was used as Owen Hart's entrance music. They reworked High Energy for the next song on the album. I want to be a Hulkamania. Another Maguire and Hart song was called Crank It Up, which originally had appeared on Piledriver, the wrestling album, too. I also covered that album last year if you haven't heard that episode. They somewhat reworked a few lyrics from Crank It Up for the next song, Beach Patrol. <laughs> 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 
first, here's a little bit of Crank It Up. We were cruising the streets, looking for some action, had my radio playing on my rock and roll And here's Beach Patrol. I was walking down the beach, looking for some action, had my radio set on a rap rap station. Saw a girl in trouble, a sticky situation. She wanted me to give her mouth to mouth. We were cruising down the beach, checking out the action, had my radio rocking to a heavy station. Putting on some shades, trying to catch some rays when I caught the light. One more thing about Beach Patrol. It contains a sample of the beat from a song called Tidal Tempest from the video game soundtrack album Sonic the Hedgehog Boom. Here's a little bit of Tidal Tempest. Moving on. Hulkster in Heaven is supposedly the song that got this entire project rolling. In the album's liner notes, Written by Mike Omensky, it reads, Hulk's return to music was inspired a few years ago by a very sad event, the death of a child in the United Kingdom who Hulk had visited while the child was still alive. This moved Hulk to write a ballad, Hulkster in Heaven, and inspired him to work with Jimmy, JJ, and Linda, the members of the wrestling boot band, to create an entire album. As Hulk began writing more songs with his collaborators, he became more and more excited that a music album would become a reality. In Hulk Hogan's 2001 book, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, he said that the proceeds from this album went to help the young boy's family who was having trouble paying the medical bills. I read it in the papers. I saw it on TV. I guess it'll be one empty seat. When I wrestle at Wimbledon, I used to tear my shirt. The album was released on Select Records. It was a label best known for releasing albums by Kid and Play, Chub Rock, and The Jerky Boys. Select Records owner Fred Munau had worked with Jimmy Hart's friend and liner notes writer Mike Omansky on publicity for The Jerky Boys. The two of them decided to team up again for the Hulk Hogan album. They assumed they would be getting promotional help from WCW as well. But when the two hired a skywriter to promote the album at WCW's Bash at the Beach pay-per-view just days after the album's release, WCW never once showed the skywriting on camera. Despite the lack of promotion through WCW, in a 2020 interview for TheAthletic.com, Omansky claimed the album still sold 300,000 copies. However, official sales number in the U.S. are reported to be more around the 21,000 mark. The album did spend a couple of weeks on the charts, and that would be the Billboard Kid Albums chart, where it peaked at number 12. The album isn't streaming anywhere on any of the official streaming sites, 
but you can find it on YouTube. Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band never released another album. And while recordings of his old band Ruckus don't seem to exist, Hogan does have some music from the early 1980s that was only ever released in Japan. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. Bizarre Albums.